HRN listeners. As we celebrate our 15th year, we are deepening our commitment to giving voice to the next generation of food system storytellers, and we need your help. Our internship and fellowship programs help activate new possibilities for underrepresented and underestimated young people through experiential journalism, audio engineering, and production training. Through these unique programs, HRN helps food equity stewards build essential workforce readiness skills that expand their potential and foster economic mobility. Please consider supporting these critical programs. And with a minimum donation, you can be entered to win a dinner for two at an amazing restaurant in one of eight cities and tickets to a concert at a great venue in one of those cities. We have incredible partners across the country who have donated as they also share our passion for helping to educate the next generation of food system storytellers. Check out heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. That's heritageradionetwork.org 15 to donate and enter to win today. And make sure you donate before March 31st. Thank you. You're listening to Heritage Radio Network. With more than 30 weekly podcasts, HRN has something for every food lover. Learn more at heritageradionetwork.org. This episode is brought to you by Root 11 Potato Chips. Made with a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. To learn more, visit rt11.com. I'm Allison Kane, and welcome to In the Sauce, a podcast about building consumer brands from the ground up. I love doing this show because I get to interview everyone from production gurus to marketing and social media mavens, anyone who can guide me on this crazy journey. This is the story of building Haven's Kitchen sauces, but it's also the story of every growing brand because we're all in the sauce. Today, I'm speaking with Ashwara Iyer, the founder and CEO of Brightland, a happy and wholesome olive oil, vinegar, and honey brand that is deeply loved and a favorite of the New York Times, Food & Wine, the Wall Street Journal, and others. You can find Brightland online and in several hundred retail stores, including Air One, Crate and & Barrel, and Williams-Sonoma. Well, hello. <laughs> hello. I mean, how long have I been trying to get you on this thing? I feel like, you know, you, <laughs> we have been talking about this for so long and <laughs> you have been on my list of sort of people that I admire and sort of admired from afar, got up close, went back far again. And <laughs> I just feel, I feel really grateful to have you in my orbits and I'm so uh, happy to be here. I feel the exact same way. And, um, you're, and this, I mean this in the most loving way. You're you're a little cool cucumbery when I like before I knew you. So I kind of felt like I was like trying to be your friend for a while. <laughs> you were a little bit like, yeah, you were like you were just like a little like, yeah, I don't know. Like I don't know. I was like I was barking up your tree. I felt like for like the good first chunk of our relationship, and now I feel like we're like. You know, we text, you know, so now do you not feel cute, like cool cucumbery? Never. That's the <laughs> thing because when I picture myself, like what people who kind of maybe break through the cool cute, like if, if, if yes. they even break through it, it's like very much Muppet, Puppet, like those are the characteristics that I hear a lot. Yes, as many people are, I feel like who have a little cool cucumbery 
outside. There's usually like a Muppety soft smushy, you know, inside, you know? Oh my gosh. Yeah. Well, I have to say, I'm going to, like, it may, I'm going to take it as a compliment because no one's ever told me that I have cool cucumber vibes. <laughs> so I'll take it for the time being. <laughs> no, I, I mean, I like it. It it just made me, like, want want you more. Like, it, you know, I was like, I was like, I'm going to get into this girl's DMs. Like, I'm going to oh. do it. Isn't that funny? It's so weird what people, like, what we do to ourselves mentally oh yeah you know and, yeah. and the stories we tell ourselves a about ourselves which of right. course we talk about right because then uh-huh. that affects how we make decisions around like companies that we start or want to start and then b the the sort of like um uh, what we the stories we tell ourselves about other people too like that's yes I know. And, you know, it's funny because I, in therapy (laughs) this morning, I was saying that I think I finally stopped doing the, I know you probably think I'm blah, 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 or I know you might take this like I'm blah, blah, blah. But I think I finally at 50 kind of dropped that because I actually have no idea what you think or how you're going to take it. And I to your point, like, I'm not helping the communication by prefacing it like that. I'm actually being defensive without even meaning to be in like a weird way. And, you know, she was basically like, yeah, that's, that's, that's hopefully what happens after several years of therapy. (laughs) You don't do that anymore. No, I love that so much. And it's interesting. It's like, we all yeah, we, we go into things like sort of, um, with the conversation played out before it even happens. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Well, now that we've had our, um, you know, our, our feelings moments, um, (laughs) let's talk about Brightland and let's talk about you and Brightland and, you know, it's this beautiful brand. I think, you know, what, I think, you know, what I think founders out there and, and people that work at, you know, CPG companies are probably looking for when they're listening to you is like, how did you create this? I mean, it really is this feeling. It's this beautiful, like sensuous product that is super, super high quality, literally like golden and and you just have held on to this steady integrity from before COVID, during COVID, seemingly in this weird kind of, I think we're post-COVID, I don't know. Um, there's something just to this love of this brand and this, and this goodness that just has been unwavering. I don't know if you feel like you have been muppeting all over the place, but it, it, you know, it's like the cool cucumber of the brand. It's, it's, it's like held to this place. And I'm curious about a, if you identify with that and B what maybe you can offer to people listening who might want to try to emulate that. Oh my God. I mean, that's the night. That is really one of the nicest things I've ever heard about Brightland. <laughs> because we are like, I definitely am muppeting around, but, mm-hmm. um, and so, 
yeah, that's, that's part of it, right? Like, I think what we think or see from the outside usually never is. So yes. that's uh, kind of my tip number one of like, it's, it's never what it seems, um, which it's hard to think about it that way, especially because every, like on social, everything looks so glossy and beautiful. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think that the emotion thing that you said, where there's a lot of feeling that comes with it, that was very much by design. I, I, um, I really felt like this was a category that didn't have that much emotion associated with it in terms mm-hmm. of product wise it did, but brand wise it didn't. There was a lot of product right. affinity in the market, but not a lot of brand affinity. And yeah. so that made me think, okay, I think building emotional connection could be really amazing. And so it, a, I mean, I think it was the time that we launched, like we launched in 2018. So this was, I a remember, very, um, yeah, like a much less noisy time, honestly, mm-hmm. like now there's sort of CPG brands galore in every category and, mm-hmm. and there, there's just a lot more noise. I think it was quieter. And so some of the things that I'll say that we did, I'm sure people listening are going to be like, so what every other brand does that? Not to say that we invent, like not to say that we were the first by any means. There, there were no, but you were, you were, I mean, it's funny, right? I mean, 2018 literally feels like the 1940s. Like I, you know, it's like crazy that that feels so long ago, but there you did, you did, I don't know. I don't know if you were the beginning of 3.0 or 4.0 or like 6.0, like, but there you were at the beginning of something. Definitely. Perhaps. But well, but in any case, I think that the things that we thought a lot about that I spent a lot of time thinking Mm -hmm. about at that time were how do we make people feel something? How do we do that with what we've got? So you have design, you have the product itself, then you have design, which can use, can serve as a a really useful tool. Then you have the storytelling mechanism. So not just Mm -hmm. your social, but what are you, how are you showing up? What are, what are the things that you stand for and sort of like, that are a bit more timeless? Like for me and for Brightland, I said, you know, whoever really kind of, um, whoever embodies Brightland it's someone who loves certain kinds of music and they love Mm -hmm. reading certain things. So we started putting that kind of content out there, which maybe helped a little bit. Yeah. Yeah. Kind of end to end. And then what kinds of recipes? Is it somebody that has a lot of time to make luxurious leisurely meals or is it somebody who's on the go or is it somewhere in between? So we thought a lot about that kind of content too. Did you, were you surprised by anything like, or did you nail your target consumer pretty much from the get go? Like, was there anything you learned along the way where you were like, huh, I thought they had time. Turns out they don't. Or yeah, I mean, I think they love heavy metal. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, I think I've been surprised a lot. Like, I mean, starting the company, I will say I started with a thousand bottles and I was like, I don't know if anyone's, I had a hunch right? Like there was Mm -hmm. like a a hope, I will call it a hopeful hunch. Or, you know, um, someone recently said to me, confidence without evidence, Um, Mm -hmm. sort of went into it with that, but really also like was like, this could all, you know, I could be sitting with these bottles for two years, like, I don't know. Mm -hmm. Um, But then to see, you know, I think it was like two and a half days or three days that we sort of like sold through them, the kind of initial couple of days that we launched. And then that feedback from those customers, 
that was really, I think, surprising. But then after that, like, I guess, fast forwarding kind of now, like, you know, three and a half years um, into this. Yeah, I'm very, I'm always surprised by, um, I'm surprised by like the evolution of customers, right? There's some folks that want the leisurely meals and want to really like make cooking a luxurious experience. And other people tell us like, we love to take Trader Joe's and really like the kind of the ready-made meals and we mm-hmm. jazz them up with Brightland and that's our way yep. of creating magic. And so I don't think I necessarily thought about that second use case that much, right. but I'm so delighted by it. And candidly, that's, that's me. Like I don't cook right. maybe on a weekend. I have time to cook like a luxurious meal, but I'm not like a founder influencer. Who's like, cooking up gorgeous, luxurious meals in my kitchen because <laughs> I have time to. Yeah, I, I-, I know. It's funny because last week for, I had, you know, I have a lot of kids, I, I think you know, and I think everyone listening probably knows, but I, you know, it happens to be time where they all have friends over too. It's like summer. So I have like literally 12 teenagers um, at any given meal. And I basically just, do you know, that? I mean, you know, it's ridiculous, um, but I make a lot of, you know, DIY stuff. So whether it's just like seaweed wrappers and a big salmon and all sorts of like, you know, cucumbers and avocados and seaweed and like fun random stuff and some rice and people can just like roll some stuff or, you know, a, a taco night or, you know, I a big salad and you get to put it, you know, everything's just, I don't make, I just make like a bunch of things and put them out. Um, that's kind of the answer. But a lot of times what I'll do is I'll buy, you know, store roasted, like the grocery roasted potatoes and I'll toss them with like good olive oil and garlic, or I'll toss them with our chimichurri. And that's exactly how I cook too. But it's funny because I said to my team, I was like, we need to, we should show people that this is what you can do. Cause I don't know that we've ever really done that. Like literally take a store-bought thing of potatoes, toss it in chimney, roast it. And then you feel kind of like a winner, you know? Yes. Oh my yeah. God. Completely. I love that you said that. Like I love, and I think that's a great idea to showcase that because that in reality, everyone wants to be the person that's right. cooking you know, really like going and getting the potatoes from their backyard, maybe. Like right. <laughs> and then caressing them while they rub the dirt off. Yeah. Exactly. Um, yeah, no, we yeah. actually filmed it yesterday. Like me ripping the top off of like a store-bought thing of potatoes awesome. and tossing them. Yeah. Um, so going back to the launch. So how did you, where did, when you sold a thousand, those first thousand bottles, did you just like put up a page and a website and I mean, it feels like back in the day, like what, how did you start it? And did you have a launch plan around it? And did you have any press around it? Like, Yeah, so um, I bootstrapped the company. So I had put around $30,000 into website, product, um, branding, like start to finish. It was 30K. Yeah. That was the investment that I put into Brightland to start. And didn't raise any outside capital, anything. It was like I had worked for 10 years before. 30K was part of my savings. It went into mm-hmm. this business. I had no idea what was going to come out of it. 
but and, and my background was in communications, corporate communications, public affairs. And as part of that, I had background in PR. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was mainly in tech. I had never worked with a physical product and had certainly never worked in food. But that's what I knew. I didn't yeah. know Facebook ads. I didn't know. I didn't. <laughs> I did not know retail. I went to my first fancy food show. January of 2018 and I was like what in the blue jeans is going on yeah. here like, it was so humbling Ali like so yeah. humbling. I was like wow I know nothing and I'm yeah. not even going to pretend um yes so I was kind of like okay well I uh, I have a very particular point of view uh design wise so let me just sort of lean into that and then mm-hmm. let me lean into the other thing I know which is PR I know, I don't know who writes about food, but maybe I can find someone who does. So I called mm. three or four PR firms. And the only one that wrote back to me was Becca PR in New York, mm-hmm. um, run by Becca Parrish and their team, their LA team reached out. I met them for coffee. I brought some early samples of Brightland and I was just like, Hey, I'm a random lady starting this. Like <laughs> I'd love to work with you guys. And they told me the rate and it was too high. And I said, okay, well, what if we, what if I give you some, you know, advice? Olive oil. Right. <laughs> well, olive oil, yes. Plenty of olive oil, some advisory shares. Mm-hmm. And can you bring my fee down? And at the time, they were lo- actually looking to get into physical products. They had not been working mm-hmm. with that many physical products. They're best known for doing PR for hospitality yeah. and rest. Exactly. Mm-hmm. And so um, it ended up that timing, so much of it is timing, right? So the timing ended up working. So then we started working together, like basically a month or two before launch. And I said, yeah, I'd love for us to have like a really stellar kind of um, moment. And they said, what if we do an exclusive where one person writes about it, but hopefully it's someone like really big. And I said, yeah, let's let's do that. And they secured a very small, like, it was like a paragraph mention in the New York Times style section. Mm-hmm. And it's like a section in, in the T magazine and um, they secured it and they're like, that's the exclusive. And so with that, plus our jazzy website, and I had started collecting email addresses from like everyone I knew and kind of put up a landing page a few months before I had, you know, I think I had like a thousand people on my email list. Um, yeah, but that, I mean, that, that in and of itself is amazing, right? I mean, in 2018, I, I, I don't even think I used email, you know, I was like, I definitely didn't know how to just like put up a landing page. I mean, now I guess it seems, it does, it seems like you know, we're talking about a fully different era, but I think there's so many lessons in there to extract, right? Well, First of all, like you totally knew who you were and the design is a huge part of it. I mean, I, I you see on my Pinterest videos, I use it in everything because I love the way it feels. I love the way it feels in my hand and I love the look and the shape of the bottle and it does feel luxurious to use it. And it's, you know, that's clearly very thoughtful, you know, and, and leaning into sort of like where your expertise was, you know, you knew a thing or two, even if it wasn't necessarily the same category, 
you knew enough to know what you needed and that you would go to the people that could get you what you needed. Um, and how do you, I mean, you know, Becca was on the podcast a few years ago and I'm just curious, how do you, would you advise the advisor share with service providers generally, or oh, is it something to get, just to get things off the ground? Like, how, cause I think a lot of people, there are now more service, you know, there, I think there are more service providers that do trade for that type of thing, but it can be, it can go either way. It can go either way. I think it's so dependent on the circumstance, right? Like um, for me, I just, I had not raised money. Maybe if I had, I would have allocated that budget to it. So I right. didn't have the money to spend. It was also at that time where, for me, I also understood PR enough where I knew how to, you know, work with a PR agency. Yeah, exactly. Like, right. You knew what to get out of it. Mm -hmm. Yeah. At least try to get out of it. I also, mm -hmm. at the time in 2018, getting a piece in T Magazine online, that paragraph piece probably looks very different than getting that same piece in 2022, like in terms of impact. Well, you know, what's funny about that is I feel like maybe it looked different in 20. 20 and 2021 but now it's looking pretty good again in 2022 you know I feel like that good old-fashioned media and you know I, there's some word for it in in PR marketing speak you know earned or whatever they call it like you know I mean I think when there was that era of everyone just like buying Instagram and Facebook ads, maybe it meant less. But I think these days, those other forms of, you know, driving trial and getting people to, you know, be aware that you exist. It, I think most people would be pretty happy with a mention in the New York Times. That's, that's true. That's true. Yeah, I think that's true. I think, um, I think it's, but, but the fact of the matter is like, I always think about Warby Parker, those folks talking about how they were in Vogue and GQ when they launched and like their site broke because there were 20,000 people. Like those days are totally gone. Like that's yes. not coming back. Yes. Um, but. Well, now we have pink sauce. Yeah, now we have pink sauce. Yeah. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. All right, we're going to take a little break and then we're going to come back and talk about everything after that. This episode is brought to you by Root 11 Potato Chips. From the moment Root 11 dropped their first batch of chips back in the early days of 1992, they understood their destiny as a high-quality producer. Instead of succumbing to the frenzy of mass production, they took advantage of their small size and made chipping a personal art form. The payoff was immediate, an incredible potato chip. With a secret recipe and superior ingredients, their mission is to make an outstanding product in a safe and clean environment. In this world of uncertainty that we live in, Root 11 potato chips believe comfort food can be just that. Know where your food comes from. To learn more, visit rt11.com. I'm back with Aishwara Iyer. Um, okay, so let's talk a little bit about um, D to C and your thoughts on it. Obviously there's a lot of talk lately 
Um, there was a minute where everyone thought the retail store was obsolete. Um, I have my thoughts on that that I've shared. But, you know, as a predominantly D2C business, I feel like, except that there are, you do have like a, a lovely retail presence, just not necessarily as grocery oriented. Um, how did you think about omnichannel? How did you think about retail expansion? Do you feel differently about it now than you did a year ago? Any big learnings around, you know, channels and anything you can share? You know, there's a lot of brands right now that are digitally native that are trying to figure out their retail strategy. So I feel like you could be helpful here. Oh, yeah. Um, well, we we never we never really like hung our hat on being one or the other. It was sort of like I knew nothing about retail and didn't think, you know, with a one woman shop, I should be trying to like mm -hmm. <laughs> offer that. And so honestly, it was like, what's what seems easier? And for mm -hmm. me, it was direct consumer. And that was really how we launched. But even that first week that we launched, we got inquiries from small stockists. And so we started, we started working with them. So we've always had um, more than just direct than just direct mm -hmm. to consumer. But I think direct to consumer for us, um, you know, it's been lovely, you know, it's lovely for all the reasons that everyone talks about with like, you know, you, you can, you know, who your customers are, like, I have customer conversations every other week with folks. And like, you know, it's really um, wonderful in that way. But, um, mm -hmm. but I think at the end of the day, isn't it important for whatever your businesses or products that you have, you should be where your customers are, no matter where they are. Right. So if your customer is shopping at their local grocery store probably want to end up there like if they're shopping on amazon maybe you want to end up there one day so it's all it's more more so not if it's more so like when and the sequencing of it and what makes right. sense for you bandwidth wise internally you know i think um i think i'm very much like great let's yeah sure like you know we're launching in whole foods no big deal but it is a really big deal and all of the like the I's you have to dot and the T's you have to cross from like an operational perspective. Yeah. It's own thing. And I think that can be sometimes forgotten when we're just trying to like do it all. Are you launching in Whole Foods? We are. Yeah. We're well, doing. That's very exciting. When are you doing that? <laughs> You're see, this is the cool cucumber thing. When are you launching in Whole Foods? Cause that's no. a big, that's a big, that's a big move. It's, it's, it's not that big of a deal because we we agreed to one store with them. Okay, start. right. So we just are doing it like maybe cool cucumber, but like baby cucumber <laughs> style. Like gherkin. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Let's just, you know, um, you know, and I, I really, I'd rather do it that way than sort of do the like, we're going to be everywhere, you know, and for, yeah. I'm sure for many brands that works and they're, sort of seeing stellar stellar results for it I am um, my instinct is to do it this way and yeah. um, I don't know maybe maybe when we chat again on the podcast like a few years from now <laughs> well it's funny because you were you know I think I think the thing about omnichannel is like it you're right like it's 
as a brand and a product, now you have to be, your consumer is not buying you all at the same place in the same way every time. And you need to be wherever they are. That said, you know, we are, we cannot have our product as it is the fresh sauce on Amazon. Like it's just, we're going to bleed money. And for me, you know, everything has to be like, okay, if we're not going to make money on this channel, then it's an awareness channel or it's a volume channel. And that's going to help me with X, Y, Z. And I just have other priorities ahead of them. So I think to your point, it's not like a if thing, it's sort of a when thing. And and it's also kind of a how thing. And I wouldn't put this fresh sauce in Walmart. So you know, what's the product eventually that's going to represent the brand that's going to bring, like, bring people into this umbrella um, that's not going to like make me, like my company go bankrupt. I, I think you know, it's and, so and, yeah. brilliant. The way you just said that, right? Like thinking of it as an umbrella and being okay saying no to like mm. opportunities. There's something so powerful about that because we're in a mm. mode where, it's like when someone hears Whole Foods, they want to hear that you landed every single one. And right. then they're like, okay, well, and then when's Target? When's Walmart? When's Costco? And mm-hmm. there's actually something really powerful about taking a step back and being like, we're going to do things when they're right for our business. Just because right. this other sauce company or this other mm-hmm. company did it doesn't mean that it's time for us to do that. Yeah, and it's funny because, you know, candidly, like this year, I thought that there would be more new doors um, than there were. There just, there weren't resets. A lot of, you know, they're starting to happen again. Meetings are starting to happen. It makes sense. Like I've said this before on the podcast, there isn't labor in the grocery store to execute the reset. Forget about buyers being fatigued and, and changing and leaving and moving around and stores needing to keep hand sanitizer and toilet paper in stock, like there and freight and everything, right? There's also just a pure fact that resets require manpower and they don't have them right now. So I know that intellectually and also there's pressure, right? Like I'm supposed to be this like fast growing company. And to me, like, we really are, but you know, I expected more doors at the end of 2022. But the the flip side of that is that what has happened is that where we are, the velocities have you know grown 20, 25 percent year over year, whatever it is. So, which is you know kind of what I care more about. But I think to your you know to your point, like yeah, I look around sometimes and I'm like have I been doing this? Like, uh, you know, I see going really wide, really fast. And it's a little disconcerting because I kind of like, I've interviewed 169 people on this podcast. And for the most part, they all kind of say, go at your own pace, be the dog, not the tail core, then more trust your instincts. Like, but it's really, really hard. It is so hard like that part of it is so hard and then I also think it's really hard coming back to the DSC versus wholesale doing Mm -hmm. it all 
there is this expectation, seemingly expect, seeming expectation. Maybe it's coming from our within. Maybe it's coming from scrolling Twitter or seeing LinkedIn posts. But there is that feeling that we need to be doing all of it, but doing it with like less than 10 people on the team. <laughs> and also crushing it in the meantime and having time to do like thought pieces. like Right, exactly. And every day there's something, I, I was like, I don't know, someone, I think John Foraker put something on LinkedIn the other day. And I was like, when did it become like, I guess LinkedIn's new algorithm is like, you're supposed to quote unquote, supposed to post every day. I'm like, I don't have something interesting to say every day. Like I genuinely don't. And you can see a lot of people that are posting every day. Like what they're writing is like someone else's quote. Like, yeah, you could put a quote up every day, but like really for what, you know, is that, you know, sorry about the siren. There's, I'm in the middle of Manhattan. I'm not in a golden state. <laughs> I guess. No, New York is a golden state too. <laughs> in our own way. We, you know, we're like, we're, the city is on like a crystal. Apparently there's some like, I'm going to get so many DMs about this, I think, but there's like some rock under the island of Manhattan that essentially has like, some sort of crystal vibes. what yeah I don't know I'll look into it I'll text you um oh. yeah we'll talk about it because there's something like that anywho um so speaking of you know d2c and channel strategy and everything one of the things that I think you did very early on was you got into stores that aren't traditional grocery right like yeah okay there's the air ones of the world but there's also William Sonoma which is where people are still shopping there. They're still shopping at Crate and Barrel. You know, they're still, they might be doing it online, but they're not not shopping at those stores. And I think it's kind of cool that you're building out this other type of retail. I mean, I think I'm a little slightly jealous of like, because we're refrigerated. We just like, we're so limited in our giftability or our impulse purchasey stuff or, you know, adding on to a house guest gift or any of that stuff. We don't have any of that at our disposal. And I'm just wondering if that was just, did they just kind of come in or were you thoughtful about it? Do you like it? What don't you like about it? You know? Oh gosh. It's funny. Cause I'm jealous of your business because it just feels so much more straightforward and like sometimes I wonder you know these I'm so happy that we're a part of these channels like you know Crate and Barrel and everything and but you can't help but wonder like is this at the end of the day a distraction like is this the right thing you know so mm -hmm. I, it's it's so it's it's just funny that we we're all like that but um but I think um I was always keen on us entering these types of uh, retail partners because um, I felt like like uh, the product that, you know, Brightland's products were very design-centered, centric, and mm -hmm. had a certain point of view. And I felt like if we were a part of the stores that mirrored kind of how Brightland shows up, then it was a good fit. Um so I think that in that way, I, I just said, you know what, let's look at all of the types of retailers out there. And it was, it was like a playbook that I saw. I felt like, you know, there were these really amazing, like, like Oatly, for example, as we all know, 
Oatly went after coffee houses and they just yep. did it differently. Yep. Um, so I said, well, if we could do it differently, what could our playbook be? I'm always in awe of, uh, of brands that, you know, my friend has a canned wine brand called Nomadica and they yeah. are doing partnerships with the Hollywood Bowl and with airlines. And I'm just like, that, right. those <laughs> kinds of partnerships, wholesale partnerships, I'm so in awe of those types of things. And so I think I'm trying to like, in my own small way, emulate that. Yeah, I mean, I think it's cool because uh, first of all, there's a Dutch expression, you know, my fiance is Dutch and there's a Dutch expression for everything. Like there's a cloud over on the left side of the highway. It's like, there's an expression for that. Literally everything, every human emotion, every, every, don't leave a party with the person that didn't come with you. Like there are all these things, but one of them is there's a cap for every bottle. And it's one of the things that like, I've always lived my life feeling and that I love that there's a Dutch expression for because you, you, you have this beautiful, elegant product. It is not inexpensive, right? It can't have the same cap to its bottle as a bag of chips. Yep. It's not going to grow on the same trajectory. And it's like, it's not so much about the playbook or, or doing what other brands do. I mean, we were, I was, someone on my team was like, you know, can we do a partnership with another brand? And I'm like, it, our R&D process is like 11 months. Like we, our, our products are being, you know, validated at, at the Cornell University for their like shelf life testing for nine months, like to get a three to four month shelf life that you just can't speed that up. So we can't just like whip out, a, you know, Brightland X Haven's Kitchen sauce it'll be in a year and a half. Right? right. And so that's a bummer. Like we don't have that cap to this bottle. Maybe yeah. when we have our next product line, we will have that cap. But I think so much of this like game is, you know, all of these truisms about like knowing what you have and beating to your own drum and being the dog, not the tail. And all of that is, is fundamentally about like what makes the most sense for this thing? Because there's, there isn't only one type of consumer. There isn't only one type of store. There isn't only one type of product, right? And things are, things grow in, in, in all different ways. And I think when you get out of the, oh no, I'm not doing something right. Or, you know, and obviously I'm talking to myself here, right? Like that mindset, all of a sudden you're like, hey, there are all these other people out there that that would love this. Let me go find them. Where do they go? You know? And, and that's what you did. Totally. I mean, <laughs> and it, it, I love that, that, um, Dutch saying so much because, um, you know, I, it also comes back to this feeling of like looking at things in abundance. Like the world is big. There are a lot of people out there, maybe for some brands, they want to be international. Maybe they should mm -hmm. be international. Maybe other brands want to really tackle, stadiums or live music venues maybe mm -hmm. others want to you know really focus on universities and hospitals as food mm -hmm. service as a food service channel and that could be build a really healthy business maybe some others lean into gifting like I think there's 
there's so many opportunities. And the minute we start looking at it as like, it has to be by a playbook. Right. For Gen Xers in Air One. Right. Exactly. And like, we need to then get into every, we need to do a Whole Foods national launch. And then we're going to get into every single, you know, Kroger. Like the minute you start doing that, which for some brands, that might be the right, that's their cap for their bottle. Right. Yep, exactly. So speaking of you having this, you know, other cap than I do, how do you do product development? I mean, is your product development, I would imagine, influenced in some part by you talk a lot to your consumers, you know your customer, you know where you are, you know what they're looking for. You know, I mean, vinegar totally makes sense with olive oil, but tell me about your, your product sort of development roadmap. Yes. We look at about six, six ish things when we assess what new products could be. Um, we look at what is our, what is our customer asking for? Because we're talking to them so often, what are we internally really jazzed about? What is their sort of like, maybe there's a category that doesn't have that much education or, there's been some issues with quality, like honey is the third most rotten food in the world. There's like a Netflix oh. documentary called Rotten and they feature honey in it. Oh, weird. Yeah. yeah. Well, there's like random, they're not random, but there are categories um, within food pantry that, that mm-hmm. have that going on. And so are we, are we sort of finding a, um, a better version or are we telling that story so we look at it from a number of lenses and then we say okay if 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 you know at least more than three four things kind of check the box then like this might be something that we're really excited about and then of course it's like also that instinct piece of it do I have mm-hmm. confidence even without evidence does our team yeah. feel that way because sometimes it could be like oh this seems good it could probably you know but nobody's excited about it. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's funny because there's this part of me that's like, you know, when someone asked me what our R and D process was and I was like, I like it, you know, I mean, ideally it doesn't continue that way, but that kind of has been a little bit, um, you know, it was the first couple of sauces for sure. And I, you know, I think, I think founder led companies, there is, we do have that, we do have that spidey sense. And when you start to see, you know, bigger food companies just come out with things that are just like clearly very well researched and clearly 17 people sat around a table and decided that this was a good idea, but it's like just missing soul, you know? Um, and, and the difference is they can put it out in the world. They can see really quickly that it doesn't work. And then it's gone before you even knew it was out on the shelf. And they don't even give these things a chance to build a community around them. If it doesn't hit immediately, it's gone. Um, and I think, you know, one other thing I want to talk to you about particularly, because I think you've done a really good job, is this, this brand partnership piece, which... I think is, you know, on one hand, it's a really good awareness builder. You know, it's like finding these, to use a really overused word, like synergistic companies that don't necessarily make the same thing or even make an obvious thing. So I love like your ice cream one with Dear Bella. Like 
there's something to that that I am a little bit uh, jealous of. So how do you, I'm sure you get a lot of incoming. I'm sure there are a lot of brands that want to play with you. How do you decide? What have you learned from them other than just like, you know, creating a vibe for people and, and, you know, opportunities to have wait lists and like, tell me about like the nut of the nut really for the partnerships. Brand partnerships could be its own, I think like long conversation because that umbrella under brand partnerships, it could start from, Hey, let's do a giveaway together. Let's do a co-branded recipe together. Let's do an event together. Let's do um, a co-branded gifting together. Like we gift, you know, um, like we did something with Brightland Oil and some products with Great Jones recently. Mm, yeah. Together, which was so, so much fun. And we also did a co-branded recipe with them. Um, then, then the most, I think, like in-depth is coming out with a product together. And I think, right. I think we've done a decent job at it. Like when I look at who's amazing right now at product Fly. collaborations, I would say yeah. Fly by Jing is at the top yep. of my list. Yeah, she, I mean, I, there was another one. I was just, I was just with her and there's like a Snacklands one. Exactly. I mean, th there's the, obviously the Fishwife one that just happened. No, there, I mean, I don't. She came out with a maple syrup with ghetto gastro. Like, I mean, it's just phenomenal. Yeah, yeah um, amazing. And it's, it's thoughtful too, because sometimes some brands do them and it's almost too, there's a cadence mm -hmm. thing at play, right? Because if you do mm -hmm. too many or if your brand's just showing up everywhere, especially if you have something like, like for her or for me, our products are can be a part of an ingredient. It's mm -hmm. easy. It could show up in a lot of places and not in a lot of the wrong places. I think she's, it's like a masterclass of like picking the right brands and, and, and things like that. I think we're, we're all right. You know, um, <laughs> we did an okay job of it, but, um, but it comes back to like, are we excited about the brand? Is the brand that's partnering with us excited about us? That's yeah. a huge one, Allie, because we've had instances where we've been really excited and that other brand, if they're not excited, they don't put any marketing muscle or they're not yeah. talking about it. <laughs> yeah, we had one that, we're, that we wanted to do something with and they're like, well, you know, usually we, you know, do bigger scale things. Yep. And we're like, oh, okay. Like, we're, you know, we're in quite a few stores and we have quite a reach but thank you you know yeah it was definitely like I my I don't want to put you know have a play date with you and we're like okay yeah thank you yeah and it's better to know up front for sure yeah exactly um, and do you feel like they're I mean are they fundamentally a way to keep people engaged and coming to the website are like I mean I'm sure that yeah yeah it depends on each one. So we did right. something with Sweet Green where we did a special. Oh my gosh, that's amazing. We did it back in before the pandemic, which feels right. Well, it was a Brightland X Sweet Green bottle, and they sold, they were getting into pre pandemic, they were doing a bunch of tests around retail outposts that sold Sweet Green mm. um, merch, but also other Sweet Green products like honey yep. and things. And so this olive oil was their their sweet green olive oil, basically, that mm -hmm. we sold. And that cool. was only sold at their stores. And we didn't even sell it on our website. But that was such a big moment for us because 
it was a brand, it was purely brand awareness and we sold yeah. the to them wholesale. So there was a, there's a revenue component, but, but primarily it was brand awareness. Then we right. did like the ice cream collaboration you brought up with Dear Bella. We've done things like that with Cafe Panna in New York too. Mm-hmm. Um, that is really to just showcase like, again, brand awareness. We're not selling the ice cream on our website, obviously. Right. Um, <laughs> But when people are out and about in the world, they'll see our product being used in a fun, creative way. Like that's that's really the goal of it. And then um, what's another one we've done? We did, we did a garlic chili oil with um, food. That's the one with food 52 that I love. Oh, good. I'm so glad. I sent you pictures. I I use it. I use it all the time. Oh, yeah. 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 I, yeah. I think it's gone now, but, um, yeah, I mean on eggs, especially like on an omelet, that was like a winner. Yeah. I mean, and so, I mean, so someone like a food 52, right? Like, do you automatically see just a change in your numbers on your website traffic? Like do you, how do you track them? How do you, do you kind of go into every partnership saying like, okay, these are the things that I'm measuring or is it much more chill than that? I think we're getting, to be honest, I think we're getting more thoughtful about it with each one we do and the lessons we learned. Like with Food52, it wasn't on our website. (laughs) It was only on their site. So we knew how many we made and how many they sold, but that was it was, that was kind of that. We did something with a change. Sorry to interrupt you, but did you see any change in traffic to you from there? Like presumably that would make people, I guess you can't tell because you don't know if they then went and rebought you after they finished that, that like, it's hard to know. Yeah, that was a difficult, that's a difficult correlation. We do have post-purchase surveys on our um, site that over 40% of our customers answer. And so we looked at that and saw a spike in food 52 as a way to like, mm-hmm. that they found out about the brand in the first place. Right. That makes sense. That makes um, sense. but I think that we're, I think honestly, that part of it is a work in progress. And I'm always, I always want to learn from other founders who are thinking about it in a more, um, yeah, who are especially founders like who measuring. Yeah, and those products are like like being sold on their own website. I think that's when you really see the impact. Yeah, because I mean, my you know, it seems like a lot of us. So I mean, again, I'm we're we have like a virtually like non-existent. It's very small. It just has to be their D to C component. Um, so it's hard for me to do any apples to apples because of the refrigerated piece, but it seems like the people that I've talked to that do want to sort of maintain 20%, 30% of their sales on their D to C channel as they kind of grow retail, um, you know, and in some cases, obviously it's flipped, right. But like that healthy channel mix kind of thing, the way that you get people to, come in is by having things that they can't buy at grocery stores or that are limited editions or that only people who, you know, are subscribers get like, there's almost this, it's almost like you're not, it's not as much of a shopping channel as is like a club in a way, you know, 
hundred percent. And like Truff yeah. is coming out with the Hidden Valley right. collaboration. That's mm-hmm. a perfect example of that for Hidden yeah. Valley Ranch. Yes. No, it, it totally makes sense. It's interesting starting to see, I mean, I'm seeing Pringles play with a lot of different people and the Snacklins thing. I'm starting to see, I think a lot of the big brands realize like they can't innovate really quickly, but they can get into the zeitgeist pretty easily by partnering with a brand that is doing stuff right digitally and, you know, whether it's TikTok or Instagram or you know, wherever they are, um, they're, they're starting to play differently with the emerging brands, yeah. which is, I guess, kind of cool and also like a little scary. <laughs> I know. <laughs> it's like we're on the cusp of something cool, but it could turn scary quickly and weird. Quickly. Yeah. Um, um, last question yeah. before we head out. Um, Post-COVID, you know, there's a lot of talk about trying to figure out, you know, we're going to be unpacking the last couple of years for a long time. You know, someone asked me like yesterday, like, was COVID good or bad for the business? And I was like, let's sit down and talk for a while because obviously it was good in the sense that people were cooking and it was really challenging for like 18 other reasons. And I don't really know what to benchmark off of. I I think people have heard me say this. Our first global Whole Foods purchase order was literally the first day of the lockdown. So I don't know how, what we would do otherwise. Like if there's no, there's no benchmark. Um, So your general thoughts, you know, I think, what are you seeing from your customers? How are you feeling Team-wise, like just entering this post-COVID world, your two cents on everything before we go. Yeah. I mean, I my team is amazing and like I'm so, I just, I, I feel like I'm very lucky to learn from them every single day. I do wish we were all in person more. We're remote and yeah. we're starting to do more LA get-togethers, but the remote thing is, it is uh, wearing on me a little bit. Yeah. I have to say. Um, yep. And then post-COVID climate, I think this summer was a big summer of revenge travel and people <laughs> not wanting to, people were out and about. Yes, for sure. Which I was, yeah. you know, has been interesting for us and some ways good, some ways bad. I'm glad that we have a few restaurant partnerships because we saw like a spike of folks finding out about Brightland through the partnerships with restaurants. Mm, That's great. Yeah. Like in their front sort of section where they have things, that type of thing, or are they using it like food service wise? In the menu too, a few. Oh, that's amazing. That's great. Not that many, but enough where, and these are some like, like spots that sort of are, uh, on some of the lists and stuff right now. So I think that they're just part of the zeitgeist a little bit and that has helped. Yeah, but um, sure. I keep telling everyone I'm ready for folks to come back to their homes and, and start getting their Dutch ovens up that's and running. Right. Yeah, that is right. <laughs> <laughs> they are. I just read like 82% of Americans are planning on cooking more meals at home 
post COVID now that they've overcome certain, yeah, like they're, and I mean, there's nothing like a little economic uncertainty to get someone to make soup. Yes. Um, so (laughs) cheers to that. (laughs) (laughs) Yay. Recession. Um, anyway, uh, I mean, everything's a mixed bag, I guess that we could be like, the title of the, you know, I have this beautiful title for what your episode is going to be. I'm going to surprise you when it comes out, but <laughs> it would be funny if it was like building, you know, is uh, it's, it's a mixed bag, you know. <laughs> Life is like a box of chocolates. You never know what you're going to get. Exactly. There is a Dutch, Dutch expression. <laughs> exactly. That is Dutch. Franklin would be like, that's that's originally Dutch, just FYI. Um, all right. Ash, thank you so much for coming on. I like, you know, it feels like I'm just talking to a friend, which I am. Um, and I appreciate your candor as always. Um, I did want to mention two listeners that you might want to subscribe uh, if you haven't subscribed, because we do tend to publish a little bit, not at the same time on the same day. And that's partly because of me. Um, It's actually entirely because of me, because I have to write the show notes up and sometimes I don't get them in on time. So please subscribe if you want to make sure that you get every episode the minute that it's um, published. And um, Kevin, thank you so much for engineering this show. Um, I don't think, Ash, I gave you a chance to say goodbye. Thank you so much for having me on, Allie. <laughs> this was so much fun. And um, thank you for thinking of me. I'll see you in LA. In see a- you in LA. Yahoo. Um, I'll be back next week with another episode of In the Sauce. In the Sauce is powered by Simplecast. Thanks for listening to Heritage Radio Network, food radio supported by you. Keep in touch at heritageradionetwork.org slash subscribe.